Hello, and welcome to the Science is Gray podcast. Contrary to widespread belief and mainstream media portrayals, science isn't always black and white. I'm your host, Serena Farb, and as a former science teacher with a biochemistry degree and passionate justice activist, I believe that social progress and justice depend on open scientific dialogue and debate, even when it's unpopular or controversial. On this podcast, we have in-depth conversations exploring scientific issues from a holistic perspective that allows room for nuance, understanding bias, ethical dilemmas, and reaching into the gray areas of science and ethics in society. Today's episode is a conversation about what is probably one of the most polarized and controversial topics one can talk about right now. And that, of course, is COVID and the COVID vaccines and animal testing as well. This is a topic that so frequently lacks nuance in the media, with people being labeled and viewing each other as simply pro or anti this or that, you're in this camp or that one, with almost no recognition that individual views can and do fall on a very wide spectrum. Joining me to discuss this topic is Seb Alex, a Lebanese animal rights activist, vegan lecturer, and content creator. If you follow the vegan space online, you may already know about him from his YouTube channel or Instagram page. Seb actually made a video recently about his thoughts on the COVID vaccine conversation that inspired me to invite him on the podcast for this discussion. This episode is extremely conversational and feels like two friends respectfully just chatting and listening to each other about their different views. So we really get into it and go deep discussing all things COVID, vaccines, modern medicine, veganism, and the ethics of using animals for science and so much more. So without further ado, let's welcome Seb Alex to the podcast. And really quickly before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that if you visit my website, bornvegan.org, you can find more of my work and sign up for my email list to get notified every time I release a new episode. Plus, all the links to my social media pages and YouTube channel are there if you'd like to engage with me more frequently. Thank you, Seb, so much for joining us and uh, welcome to the Science is Great podcast. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to this. So I have been following your activism and work for a while. I think we do similar stuff sometimes. And I got to say, I love your topics that you cover and the nuance and sort of holistic approach to things and and how you're willing to critique and, you know, different parts of animal advocacy and sort of think outside the box. So uh, I definitely think we need more of that in general. Yeah, I think that's what, I mean, kind of the only thing that can push the movement forward is, is being able to accept criticism. Absolutely. And sort of on that note, you recently made a video on your YouTube channel um, about individuality and sort of the different perspectives on the COVID vaccine and made a case for, you know, needing to have more open conversation and dialogue and move away from the polarized, you know, <laughs> extremes and just dismissing and labeling people. I think we uh, are very much in agreement on discussion and dialogue being super important. So I really appreciated your take on that topic. So I guess the first question I like to ask people is the title of this podcast is the science is gray podcast. What does that phrase science is gray mean to you? I think it makes a lot of sense because 
even when it comes to animal rights advocacy, sometimes we use studies and we're given other studies that go against the conclusion of the studies we have just shared. And um, that's because there's so many ways that science is being used and so many ways that it cannot always be black and white, whether that's intentionally or unintentionally. Intentionally, I can give an example. I was talking to Simon Hill, who's the host of the Plant Proof Podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, he was saying how when it comes to cholesterol levels, there are studies that have proven that eating more animal products um, won't affect your cholesterol levels. And scientifically speaking, the conclusion made sense. But what they did is they compared someone eating quite a lot of um, animal products and then someone else eating even more than that. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, the cholesterol level doesn't go up. It actually stays the same. So they're not actually lying about it, but they're also not being fully transparent. They're manipulating the way that they're testing. So if you put that against a study that says that no animal, animal products do raise cholesterol levels, then you have a black and white situation, two opposing uh, studies, and they're both scientific and they both to a certain extent make sense. But of course, one of them was intentionally misused. And um, this is one thing. On the other hand, we can have unintentional uh, science that, that ends up being gray or, or even black and white. And that's when we find something and then a few years later, we, we do it in a better way and then we find something else. And so a scientific study done two years ago cannot um, confirm that we are going to get the same results in 20 years. So I think that that kind of means, at least for me, science is great. It's like science is giving us answers now but these answers are not here to stay. They're, they're, they're bound to evolve. Absolutely. No, I totally, totally agree with what you said. Um, and for me, it's very much the, the sort of two ways I look at it are one science can tell us what is like, we can ask questions about the state of the world here and now, and in the past, it can tell us what is, but it doesn't tell us what should be for us to determine like what should be or how we use that science or what policy decisions we make, we have to use our human moral compass to mm -hmm. say, oh, the data said this, what should we do with it? There's no yeah. study like that you can do, like is murder wrong, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's like, true. Um, it's, it's just, it's a system of collecting and analyzing data that then we have to apply whatever our values, ethics, and morals are mm. to as well. So that's that's what I would add to what you said. I totally, totally agree with everything you said. And your example on cholesterol is a classic one. So before we dive more into the heart of this topic, then I think it's helpful for people listening if we can share um some of our backgrounds and potential biases and perspectives, like how did we come to where we are today? So if you could share for people who maybe aren't familiar with your work and what you do okay. a little bit about, yeah, just your background, your perspective yeah. and how that informs uh, All right. how you think. Okay. So I'm, uh, I'm born and raised in Lebanon um, in the Middle East. I moved to Europe um, just to flee Lebanon because it's a horrible place to grow up. Mm. <laughs> um a place where science, um, even when makes sense, doesn't even apply. <laughs> That's bad. Okay. Um, 
and um, I studied uh, sustainable architecture in Europe, and I, I, I worked in a corporate company in engineering. Um, and then uh, during that time, I had also gone vegan, and I started getting more and more active around a year after being vegan. And uh, when I got more active, I started also organizing animal rights um, uh, activism events. And the more I did that and the more I saw the impact that it had, the more I felt like I'm wasting my time when it comes to being in an office behind the screen. And I wanted to give all my time for animal rights advocacy. But of course, it comes, it came at an expense of having to quit my very stable and promising job, um, which was scary and not the the happiest moment of my parents, let's say, <laughs> uh-huh. who were very proud that they have a son who's an architect in Barcelona. <laughs> Um, so I quit my job. I started Patreon and I thought, you know what, if I get enough support, if people see value in what I'm doing, I get enough support. Great. If not, that's fine. You know, I, I know I tried and I don't mind getting any other job. It doesn't have to be architecture again. And thankfully it worked. I did get the support that I needed. Um, obviously the, the income stability is very different when it comes to living off a Patreon and living off a good paycheck. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. I feel much more fulfilled spending my time, making sure that I'm doing something that just goes with my ethics. Now, obviously with this comes specific bias, let's say when it comes to science and animal testing, we can talk about that later as an animal Mm -hmm. rights activist, my stance on it. And uh, when it comes to um, just science in general, not related to the testing and all the ethics with uh, other animals, um, I would say I'm a very pro-science person. Um, I'm I'm very very open to being wrong. I think I think being wrong is amazing because it's it's like an opportunity to grow. Like mm-hmm. you just found out something and now you're better <laughs> because you know that thing, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and it's weird how people really don't like being wrong. Like. I, I say it a lot in a lot of my videos, you know, when I'm sharing an opinion, like if I'm wrong, let me know, like I'm fine, you know? And, and I think people even sometimes struggle with that because they want me to, to not want to, um, like to be more, uh, what was the word? Uh, dogmatic. Absolutely. Yeah, dogmatic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, no, like it's, it's fine, you know? And, and, and people also think like, just because you have a certain amount of followers and subscribers, then, then you are right all the time. And it's like, no, like quite often, actually, I can edit videos um, from within YouTube or, or put something in the comment section, like, Hey, I just found out I was wrong about this and, and that's it, you know? And most of the time, these are things related to science or at least logic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I would say I'm, I'm quite, pro-science and one thing I want to make sure is that if I'm following a scientific study then then it has to be peer-reviewed and and there should be no conflict of interest because well then we can justify a lot of things if we if we turn a blind eye to the conflict of interest no I I totally I totally love what you're saying I tend to um guess sometimes the direction I lean in is I have to hyper research everything. And sometimes I don't put out as much content as I would like to, because I'm so focused on not getting things, you know, wrong. And, but I I definitely do recognize that things change and uh, yeah, I want people to call me out as well. And and I do that research because I don't feel like I'm an expert. Like I want to know what the information out there says and, and that I'm representing it properly and not just you know, talking off the top of my head without knowing what I'm really talking about. That's true. So 
my biases, I guess, um, in that vein, I was raised vegan. So been vegan my entire life and for ethical reasons. And then I got my degree in biochemistry. I competed in science fairs uh, in high school, have worked in a lot of different cell biology labs in particular. And I believed I was going to get my PhD in biochemistry. (laughs) I uh, loved the research, loved the writing the papers and everything involved with that and presenting research. And as I got further into college, I got much more into uh, vegan activism. um, And I just became pretty disillusioned with biochemistry and the science world sort of at the same time as I was getting more into organizing on my own. And part of my disillusionment with the science world was the incredible, extensive amount of animal products used in cell biology, way beyond animal testing. Like I I chose cell biology because I thought it was much less likely to use animals. And then again, we can talk about this more later, but was shocked at just how extensive, you know, animal exploitation is in everything. And so I kind of became frustrated with, you know, feeling like there wasn't going to be a way that I could do the science I wanted to do within my ethical constraints. Um, my, so my biases are that I love science, real science, but that so much of it out there is so easily biased and manipulated. Exactly like you mentioned with the cholesterol study, it's like, I can think of a million more examples like that in every field of how so much of the peer-reviewed studies that, you know, people hold up as evidence of different perspectives are not wrong and, you know, like not intentionally, um, like, you know, falsified or anything. They're, they're scientifically accurate, but they are sort of narrow in scope and portray Mm -hmm. a certain story. So I'm very skeptical of lots of things that get thrown around as science these days, but I do love real science, but there's very (laughs) little of it in my perspective. So, yeah, I mean, there was a, there was one study that came out, I think around two years ago, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was from Canada, some scientists claiming that, um, eating processed meat and all those like really, really unhealthy um, animal products does not present any danger to your health. Uh-huh. This was an actual study. I believe uh, it. Th- and, um, and there was a massive conflict of interest where the people behind it used to be part of um, like some big multi-corporate um, company that was in like Coca-Cola and, and I don't know, Burger King or meat related. I don't remember. So don't take my word for it, uh-huh. like word by word, but it was a massive thing. And and then the, the organization that posted the study, like the published the study got in a lot of trouble because scientists were like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you're not even trying, you know, like you're just mm-hmm. flat out making it obvious that you don't care about the conflict of interest or how the science was manipulated. Absolutely. And then are you familiar with the study? There was a, I believe it was a professor from Stanford who made a video that went viral a couple of years back about how 
just from the statistical analysis perspective that like half of all published and peer-reviewed studies were probably wrong in their conclusions. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I remember there was a, a statistic saying 40% or 60% even of industry-funded studies are, are misused and, mm -hmm. and misleading, basically. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a, a motive to have a certain thing shown in the science. So on that note, let's talk about trust, like this idea of who do we trust to get our information from? And I think you kind of touched on that in your YouTube video with regard to the vaccine. But like we hear a lot of people, you know, saying trust the scientists, trust the doctors, trust the public health officials or, you know, listen to your friends or um, media. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on all that? So <laughs> this is really interesting. I, I run a few polls on Instagram to see how other people feel about it. And I asked if people trust the pharmaceutical industry. I think 90%, I may be wrong. It's all in my video, but the majority said, no, we actually don't trust them. And then I asked, would you trust someone, you know, like a close friend who works in the pharmaceutical industry, in the medical industry? And they said, the majority said yes. Mm -hmm. And that reflects my views as well. Do I trust the pharmaceutical industry? Hell no, I don't. Do I trust my friends who are deep inside the industry? Yes, I actually do. And I talk to them. I was talking to one just this morning, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other question is, do I trust social media? the memes my friends are sharing, you know, the, the extremely misleading articles that goes against the pharmaceutical industry. I don't trust that either. To be fair, I am not a scientist. I know how to read scientific studies, um, not extensively. I don't know how to read the forest plot. I don't know if you remember the, the Joe Rogan podcast with the forest uh -huh. plot. I don't know how to read the forest plot. But usually what I do is I, I read the abstract and I read the conclusion and the methods and then and then I make up my mind on it. Um, but there, there's a very sketchy thing here when it comes to vaccines is that very pro-vaccine people who are polarized on one side are claiming that we should trust the scientists and the medical industry. And my question is, how do you think people feel comfortable trusting these industries. So should I trust the, the, the doctors and the industries that are telling me that meat and dairy is healthy? Mm -hmm. The ones that are claiming that sugar is healthy, the ones that are doing studies that say that, um, that you, can, you can eat as much processed food that, that you want to be healthy, the ones that are responsible for the biggest pharmaceutical scams in the entire history, Pfizer, do I trust them? Do I trust Johnson and Johnson, who is included now in a new scam? Where I mean, uh, this it wasn't a scam. It was um, I forgot the word, but that they're in big trouble because of uh, cancer-causing substance that they use. <laughs> uh -huh. And what they're doing is they're trying to claim that the product they they have it in was part of a smaller company they have, so pay so they pay less money. Do I trust them? Do I trust the ones that used to promote cigarettes? You know, like who should I trust? Tell me, and why should I trust them? I have very, very small trust in this community for a very big reason, for a very obvious reason. And I think that is the majority of the population. You know, do we trust the ones that keep on giving us pills just to get more money because they're sponsored and, and paid by these companies instead of telling us how we can treat our problems? Because the money is not in the healthy, it's not in the dead, it's in the sick, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't believe it makes any sense for pro-vaccine people to think that, trust the scientist is a good argument. It's just not. So if you want people to trust you, bring in good peer-reviewed data that is not backed up by the industry, 
and see if the person would listen to that. If they don't, and we're 100% sure that the data is correct, then, then we can claim that these people are not following the science. So it is very unfair to, be, to put people in the position where we, we act like they're stupid for not trusting the scientists, you know? Now, I have two close friends that I talk to on a weekly basis. One is the one I talked to this morning who are in, the, in this industry, okay? Mm-hmm. And the reason I talked to her this morning was because I saw something shared by an anti-vax person. And I just forwarded it to her. And I was like, can you give me your thoughts? Because... I can read the anti-vax posts and it makes sense to me, but I'm still not a scientist. But then she, on the other hand, is a genius. I've known her all my life and she's involved in it. She knows the studies. She knows how everything works. And I can reach out to her and say, can you give me your thoughts? And she can tell me what she thinks about it. And by the way, she's not always 100% pro everything that's happening. For example, I shared with her how... um, I was, I was uh, in another city a few days ago and I went to the world's biggest, uh, I'm, I'm going to go like a bit off the subject now, okay. <laughs> just to give an example. Yeah. I went to the world's biggest Buddhist temple. This place is massive. I wanted to visit it. I studied architecture. I really find monuments and, and old historical buildings, religious buildings, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I went to visit. In order to get inside, you need to be vaccinated. Now I'm going to see my family next month and I knew I need to, I need to get vaccinated to be able to travel. So I got the vaccine. We can talk about this later on, whether or not yeah. I'm convinced with it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, but let's, let's just talk about that part to be able to enter the premises of this temple. You need to be vaccinated. Every single person inside is vaccinated. Every single person before going inside has to wash their hands and every single person is wearing masks. Okay. So we're talking top of the top protection. And even if someone has the virus and passes it, like the, the, the studies, the data show that the, the chances of anything bad happening is ridiculously low. Um, we get inside and they say, actually, we're not allowed to go on the temple because the thing is the temple is like a mountain. Think of it like a pyramid and you can go up and walk around, you know? Okay. So we can't go up because, uh, because of COVID-19. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Every single person inside is double vaccinated, wearing a mask, wash their hands on the biggest Buddhist temple in the entire world. And we can't be on it because of COVID-19, but we can be inside supermarkets and malls with more people per, 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 per area, let's say per square meter mm-hmm. than on the biggest monument of like of Buddhist temples, you know, and it doesn't make any sense. And I just, I sent her a message because I think these are things that make people become more skeptical. Like, why would you implement vaccine? Like, why would you force that and then still not give us the freedom that we're allowed to have? And when I sent this person who is deep inside this industry, Mm -hmm. she said that that makes zero sense. The whole point of vaccines is to get back to normal life, you know? And it annoys her that governments take such decisions. She's based in Australia. And she also said like, it's really annoying for us that the government sometimes takes these measures without consulting us, you know, or consulting enough or looking at the studies. And then we pay the price because people don't believe us because our work is not helping um, society move forward, you know? So it's like, this is what I wanted to share quickly, you know, and like, there's all these things that make it very skeptical for people to trust what's going on. For example, I find it very weird that I have to trust that they're doing their best, that the government is doing everything that they're doing for our health and safety, yet slaughterhouses and animal farms keep on functioning. 
how do you want me to trust that they're doing what's in our best interest? It's not. It's mm-hmm. obviously if it was, and the CDC data shows that two out of three uh, pandemics and uh, and diseases come from the, from how we treat other animals. Why are we not shutting down these farms and slaughterhouses? You know, it's the first mm-hmm. thing that we should shut down before shopping malls, before everything else, because you can keep on sh- uh, like uh, closing down businesses, but that's just like treating symptoms symptoms instead of going to the root cause. So these are various reasons why I believe it's very fair for people for people to be skeptical and not trust the industry or the government. On the um, other hand, do you want to share something before? No, I go ahead. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, so on the other hand, um, we have actual science. We have actual scientists, you know, and I know some of these people and I trust them. And um, I know that they are well-intentioned people who know the science, who understand the science a thousand times more than I do, a thousand times than all my anti-vaxxer friends do. Um, And yes, that is something you can do. You can be friends with anti-vax people. Um, and, and I believe that we should be having the conversations because some of these people can actually share the data, can actually explain things to us that internet memes just can't, you know, internet articles just can't, you know, no matter how illogical we may find some things, these are people who are working in this for the past years and have answers to our questions. And we're, a lot of people are not seeking these uh, answers because they're not interested in, have, in having a conversation. So as you can see, like my sense is not all with or against. It's more like, can we just all act like adults and, mm-hmm. and have conversations like actual human beings are supposed to? Actual science-related things are supposed to have conversations related to everything. And these people, uh, yes, and there are studies and I have seen some of them. I, I'd love to hear what you have uh, on your end. Um, that are showing that double vaccination is helping, you know, and even booster shots are helping. And people are now getting very worried, you know, like, what, what do you mean a third shot? What do you mean a fourth shot? And, and I also wonder, like, where are, where are, what are we heading into, you know? But the science is showing that this is helping, at least based on the science that I've seen. And that's why I say, like, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Now, one more thing I want to add is we're forgetting that there are also scientists who are against what's going on. And this is an area where I don't know personally much about. There's a lot of nurses, thousands that are fired or suspended because they're not getting the vaccine. While a year ago, everyone was clapping for them for being heroes. And my question is, if someone from the medical and pharmaceutical industry is being skeptical about this and they don't want to take it, why are we silencing them? You know, do they not have the right to share their concerns just as much as the pro-vaccine scientists do? You know, and what does it mean when we silence them? Like, how do you want people to trust the narrative if you're silencing one part? It just makes people more skeptical. Like, hey, um, why don't you let this happen? You know, and and one person who talks very well on this subject, in my opinion, is uh, Russell Brandt. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and one of the videos he had was he said like there was there was an agreement between or like an idea to have an open conversation about everything that's going on between scientists, and it wasn't accepted to take place. And how do you feel people feel when they hear that? You know, it certainly makes me skeptical about everything. So that's all I have to share for now. <laughs> I want to uh, hear back a bit. Yeah, you said so much in there. Um, yeah. Where to start? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you on the not trusting pharmaceutical industries and all of that. And I think probably a difference in our perspective on this I have not gotten the shot at this point, and I have very little intention of doing so. 
but I love conversation and I'm always willing to talk to people. And I think more, yeah, adult conversations and not (laughs) attacking and censoring people um, is always important. But at this point, I have sort of come to the point where I don't think there is any science or evidence that anyone could show me that would change my mind simply because of my lack of trust in the entire system. It would be like really, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's just, there is such a a sort of one-sided narrative I feel, and there is such a monetary incentive. And exactly like you said about, you know, the government, you know, if they, they really cared about our health and well-being or stopping disease or, you know, health and well-being in general. Totally agree. Yeah. Shutting down slaughterhouses, factory farms, but also, and especially when it comes to COVID, there are some studies that I'm aware of that talk about the power of nutrition, of vitamin D, you know, these other things, um, comorbidities. We know that like obesity and heart disease and diabetes, other chronic disease that is very related to diet in many cases. And we know how to prevent and treat a lot of those things, which are still in the U S here killing like heart disease still kills, has killed more people over the last two years than COVID has. Yeah, and, of course. You Number know, one cause of death. Yeah, still. And that's something that we definitely could do something about. And our government isn't doing, you know, like that where where are the public health officials on TV telling you to eat plants? Where are the you know free vitamin D supplements being given out? You know, all of that. So it's like to me, I just can't believe that this is really about health and that it's much more likely to be about corporate profits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that just makes me skeptical of the entire thing. And like I sort of said before, my experience seeing science biased and manipulated, I am skeptical of all the science that I'm seeing. So like one really good example is I actually read the Pfizer clinical trial data that for the very first study that was published like December of last year, when they first came out with the vaccine and had approval for it. I read it start to finish. I spent like days analyzing this thing. and ran it by like similar to you, like some doctors, some other friends I know that have PhDs in science um, who I really respect. And I would ask them like, am I, is my interpretation of this? Like, I'm pretty sure this is what it says. Like, am I correct in this? Um, And so, so I did that and I like wrote up a whole big thing with sort of my critique of their data and presentation of it. But then at the same time, the other thought I had is this study was funded, designed and conducted and analyzed by Pfizer. So it's like, there's the data that they presented at face value, which I can sit here that was peer reviewed and I can sit here and analyze. But the thought that's going through my head the whole time is like, okay, what if there's some other bias here? Like, is Pfizer ever going to publish a study that shows that the product that they're developing and about to profit, you know, billions of dollars from, like, are they ever going to publish something showing that it's not good? Because for business. So 
that's the type of stuff that I'm skeptical of at this point, that so much of the science being published is coming directly from the industries. And then that's what our government, public health officials, and other scientists, friends of mine, are sort of showing and holding up as the evidence that then I'm supposed to just trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like going on with the Pfizer clinical trial, one of the things, you know, they had a placebo group and they had the, the vaccine group and it was like blinded. Well, within a few months of them publishing that study and the vaccine being approved in the US, they unblinded the group and told everyone in the placebo group that if they wanted, they could get the vaccine now. And I forget what the percentage is, but a very, very large percentage, like almost all, I think, basically did. So we have now no control group. So when they talk about long-term safety or all these other potential side effects, it's like that study lasted for a couple months and that was it. There is no control group that they are following and collecting data on because Mm -hmm. everyone's pretty much gotten the vaccine. Yeah. You know, so it's like that type of stuff for me where I'm just like really, really skeptical of the way all the science is being done and who's doing it and like, do I believe it? <laughs> I know. It's really like, especially with, with the historical background of all of these companies, you know. And and the thing is like, as much as they claim they want to um, make the world safer and stop the disease and everything, well, why do you patent your vaccine? Mm-hmm. You just want money. You don't want to make this world safer. You just just be honest and say, I want to make money. You know, like it's it's fine to want to make money. It's not fine to claim that your your intention is something else because it's not. And um, yeah, actually, like I got the I didn't get the Pfizer one. I got I got Sinopharm, okay, <laughs> which like the one of the Chinese ones, and uh-huh. I didn't feel anything. Like I barely even felt the needle going. I I walked out of that place as if. I was just there and had a cup of water and came out. That's it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Both shots. The second one was a few days ago, actually. And um, I wasn't convinced to get a vaccine yet. I'm not sure. But also because I just don't know much about the science. Mm -hmm. Um, What I do know for sure is that, and this is very personal. For me, the worst case scenario is that the vaccine kills me. And I don't mind that because I have a very specific view on life. And I don't mean to sound this depressive or or something, but I really don't mind if it kills me. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, as some people were, were saying that it's affecting women and their fertility. And I was like, well, if it makes me infertile, that's amazing because then I can save all my vasectomy costs, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> so like, I know it sounds funny for some people and some people would go like, well, you don't mind that I do. And yeah, that's why I say it's personal. Like for me, I'm I'm not very much afraid of what the vaccine has or can do to me. Um, I'm more concerned about about how the governments are using this and why we're not being told the truth, why we're not being told, uh, why we're not being given uh, transparency. You know, why why are they acting like it's all about our health when it's very obviously not? Mm-hmm. And one one thing I want to say is that a lot of like, and I, I feel that I have to be very, um, I have to to a certain point take the side of anti-vax people since I am vaxxed, um, just, just to show my objectivity. Um, I hear a lot of pro-vax people telling anti-vax people like, you're not a doctor, you can't have a view on this. 
well, why does Bill Gates have a view on this? Why why does he get to decide what how we're going to do and what we're going to do? And why does he get to be so involved in everything? I remember seeing a video of him when the pandemic first started, claiming that eventually we're going to have a rule where people cannot travel if they don't have the vaccine. And at the time, I was like, well, who are you to decide that? You know, who are you to even have an opinion on that? You know, mm-hmm. okay, actually, no, you can have an opinion. It's fine to have an opinion, but why are we televising your opinion? Because you have money. Mm-hmm. So if tomorrow I became one of the richest people on earth, I can go on television and, and, and share these things. You know, I have no scientific background, you know, and no matter how many scientific studies I fund or how many organizations I might have to help human beings um, as, as they claim he does. Um, by by helping a lot of countries to get into chicken farming, which is also mm-hmm. um, where a lot of pandemics start. Um, well, how does that, like, what is his place in this, you know? And this is one thing that I still have an issue with, with my friend, one of my friends who's involved in this, um, because she claims that he's done, he does a lot of good. And I was like, how much of good did he do when he had a, a friendship that he lied about with um, Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I sent her the video. I sent her the video of him lying that he has. Uh, and now we're getting into other topics of like being <laughs> being legit with with a with a kidnapper, sexual like offender, slaveholder, everything that he's done. You know. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me one of the smartest people in the world who does so much good does is completely fine visiting this guy over six times that we know of that there is proof of, and then lie about it. If he lies about that, what else is he lying about? There's not a single part of me that trusts this person. And if people claim that anti-vax people should not have an opinion because they're not scientists, then then Bill Gates should not have an opinion because he's not a scientist. So to my knowledge, you know, he (laughs) may be very smart with computers. I'm not doubting that he's much smarter than I am or or many of the anti-vax people that I know, but he's still like smart in that. He, He may know about computers but he may not know how to design a house like I do. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's just like, he does, he, he shouldn't have the space that he has, you know? I, I mean, again, I may be wrong. If someone believes that he should have this space, please go ahead and let me know. And I don't mind changing my opinion on this. But, but these are reasons why people become even more skeptical. I don't understand why they're getting so much hate for being skeptical when the reasons they're skeptical are, are so legit. And yes, I was skeptical, but... Um, in my case, it was really like, I live in another country. I'd really like to see my family. I lost my father this year. So I want to be able to spend um, New Year's and Christmas with my family, with my mom. And uh, I don't mind paying any um, price of getting the vaccine, let's say. I still I still mind that that I w- I'm forced to do that, to travel. Mm-hmm. I find it very weird. I have one more point to share, but I'm going to stop. I'm just going to write down the point okay. so that you share a bit. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, definitely want to hear it. But um I'm with you on Bill Gates. I've been skeptical of him since way before the pandemic when I was first learning about and sort of getting involved in some work around agriculture and Monsanto and glyphosate and GMOs and was hearing from like Vandana Shiva and other sort of indigenous activists in India and several African countries who are basically saying, you know, that everything Gates touches is pretty much the opposite of what they want and need and really just serves corporate and moneyed interests. And and on that note of part of, you know, why I'm more skeptical about things when, you know, people point to the World Health Organization as this 
premier, you know, we'll believe them, even if you don't believe Pfizer. And then it's like, okay, well, Bill Gates is also the number one or two funder of the World Health Organization, a single billionaire person with no background in science is, you know, like one of the biggest donors to the World Health Organization. And that may, that makes me skeptical and like, how is he influencing things? How does that influence the messaging of the World Health Organization? And likewise, you know, the CDC that here in the U.S. is one of the top, you know, well, don't believe Pfizer, believe the CDC. And yet on that, my thoughts go to, okay, well, we have the USDA, the, the, you know, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA in the U.S. And when it comes to the federal nutrition guidelines, when it comes to, you know, the approval of drugs, like both of these organizations have a track record and history of putting people in charge from the industries they're supposed to be regulating, like especially the USDA. The the head of the USDA right now is Tom Vilsack, who's a former dairy industry lobbyist and like literally came straight from the dairy industry and then is helping us tell Americans what is nutritious and healthy and supposed to regulate these industries. So I just see that all of these government agencies, yeah, they're sort of great at face value, but I think there there's a revolving door. And that's true with the CDC. Previous heads of the CDC would like work for Pfizer, work for Merck, go and approve the drugs that they helped create, go back to the company, you know, when they were done with their position and get huge bonuses for it. So, you know, I sit here and I'm like, well, that's probably going on right now. Like just because the vaccine was approved is not proof to me that it's that it's safe, you know? I know. And, and a lot of these like organizations and groups, there's just so much lobbying involved. And I find it very hard to believe that if you're the single biggest owner of the World Health Organization, you get absolutely no say in it. <laughs> I, I find that very hard to believe. I know it's up to me to prove um, the existence of, of that, but but I, I can't <laughs> prove it. I just find it very hard to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one thing I wanted to talk about earlier is basically when it comes to personal freedom, deciding to get the vaccine or not, you know? So what the vaccine does, to my knowledge, is it if, if the science is correct, uh, it uh, reduces the chances of it being uh, the virus killing you or falling severely ill and also reduces the chances of catching it and giving it to others. So the thing here is that if somebody doesn't mind falling severely ill, who are we to decide that they shouldn't? Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody doesn't mind getting sick from smoking a lot of cigarettes, um, why do we allow them to do that, but not allow them to decide not to get the vaccine? And yes, you might say, yeah, because you can give it to others. Well, it's kind of not his responsibility to protect others from the virus. It's a vaccine's responsibility. That's why these companies are being paid a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. if you want, if you want the money, make a vaccine that works, you know, not one that just reduces the chances, even if the chances are high, it's good, but it's not enough. And uh, an, an example I want to give of like personal responsibility and your decision. I live in Indonesia. Okay. I have been here for three years and uh, my way of transportation here is with a motorbike, motorcycle. Um, I wear a helmet. I don't have to, but I, I'd rather not take the risk. I've had friends die from motorcycle accidents. So I wear a helmet. My helmet is there's two types of helmets. The ones that you just wear from above, I'm just going to explain it for 
because people are listening, the one you yeah. just wear from above and then your jaw and nose, everything is open. There's like this little plastic glass thing that you can bring down uh, for the wind. And there are, there are the ones that again, you wear from above, but it goes all the way down to your chin. So your chin is also protected and then only your eyes are open. So I, I guess people can imagine what I'm talking about now. When I wear my helmet, my face down to my chin is fully closed and I'm behind that like glass plastic thing. During the lockdowns or when the pandemic was really severe, if I were to ride my motorcycle with a fully closed face helmet with no mask under, I would get deported. Wow. However, I could ride the motorcycle with no helmet, with a mask on, you drive past the police as as if there is nothing. So you mind that I crash and and die or and maybe someone being responsible for my death because if the accident is with someone else, they, they may have responsibility as well. So it's not really personal. You, you don't mind that, it's fine. But you mind that I don't wear the mask um, under a helmet. Like my helmet alone is more effective than a mask alone. All right. Mm-hmm. But like, like, why is it okay that in one case, it's fine that I don't care about myself and others, but in the other, it's not fine. People were, people got actually deported for that. Wow. You know? And, and this is where I asked, like, why are we giving it so much more weight than other things where, where the subject, like the, the situation is basically the same, harming yourself and others, you know, an accident or the virus. It's just very weird. And and if people want to take the risk of getting severely ill, I think they have the right to do that because the people who don't want the risk would be vaccinated. So it's not really a danger to them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know how low the percentages of someone being vaccinated and still dying from COVID. I'm guessing it's ridiculously low because to begin with, the, the, the percentage of dying from COVID is ridiculously low. You know, it's still a percentage. I actually lost my mm-hmm. father to COVID and he was healthy and, and he was vegan and he was exercising every day and he was young. He was 62. So the, the whole thing, it made me realize percentages are low, but they're still percentages. So I'm not being insensitive. You know, I lost my father to this, but I still find it very weird that with such low percentages, so many measures are, are being taken. And, and the idea, as I said earlier, that we're claiming that this is for our health, really? Like for our health, number one cause, I think um, I read it yesterday, but I already forgot this. I think it was like heart disease killing 24, every 24 seconds or every something like a very small number. Uh, it kills one person in the States. Like, why aren't we treating heart disease as a pandemic? You know, people say, oh, okay, but that's because you can't pass it on to others. Yes, you can. If you have children, you're teaching them to eat and live how you'd live. You're, you're passing on heart disease to them. Yeah, it's not the same way of passing on as, as a virus is, you know, but you're still responsible for their future death. So yeah, I think there's a very weird thing with, with personal decision here where I believe like, okay, let's say I got the vaccination because I'm pro, pro vaccine and, and I trust and everything. I literally don't care if the person next to me isn't because I should, if I'm pro-vaccine, that it's because I trust the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's where I draw the line. I think all, all these regulations and, and control over where you can go and, and what are the procedures to go there and things like that is it's just a bit, it's, it's very sketchy. 
Well, I'm very sorry to hear about your father. And, um, but I really appreciate that even though you have that personal experience of losing your father and you've gotten the vaccine that, that you are totally open and, and understand the importance of personal choice, because to be honest, I don't hear that a lot. <laughs> like yeah. it, it seems like a lot of people I know that once they get the vaccine, they're kind of like, it's like they jump on board with everything else that comes with it and believe that, you know, now, yeah. now I'm a bad person and that everyone who hasn't gotten the vaccine is, and it shouldn't be a personal choice. And yeah. And I have, I have, I tell people this, like if there were no mandates and no one was trying to convince me what to do or restrict my freedoms in the world, I wouldn't like give a shit what anyone else does or doesn't do about the vaccine. I only talk about it and bring it up sometimes because I feel like people that aren't going along with it are losing freedoms and, yeah. and that it's, it's not being portrayed as a, a personal choice and, and a little bit off topic, but the thought that has come up for me is, uh, abortion, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of my body, my choice, a lot of, uh, that slogan comes up and I find it really interesting. Like I'm pro-choice when it comes to abortion and, I feel like both sides are being slightly hypocritical. Yes, yes. That's <laughs> how I would I say know. it. Like both sides, I feel like are are picking their issue on which they think people should have a choice, but yeah. then not others. And I guess sort of my my perspective is like, you know, when when people come at me and say, well, you know, your choice to get a vaccine or not like impacts other people, you realize that you know, for example, my friends and people I know who are conservative Christians and view abortion differently, that's literally their same argument that your choice yeah. is impacting another. And I'm like, how is like, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's very interesting how and this is what I find so ridiculous, how this has even become a left versus right thing. Like right-wing followers are anti-vaccine and left-wing followers are pro-vaccine in general. Like this, this is the narrative. And it's mm -hmm. like most left-wing people would be pro-choice, but then not pro-choice when it comes to vaccination. And most uh, right-wing people are pro-respecting like life, but then not doing what uh, they're told, whether true or not, that it respects life, like protects life and, and affects others. And I, anything that falls into this category of ending up being black and white, left or right, I'm skeptical about it. Mm -hmm. I, I always wonder why the media takes the issue there. I find it very weird. I find it very childish. I find it very worrying about the future of humanity that every single thing is left or right, like so binary, you know? And it's like, are you even able to have a personal opinion or do you just swallow like what, what the media is feeding you and telling you that you should think. It's just, it's very weird that people don't have a set of different beliefs anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I like, I, I, I find mo almost all, if not all political parties currently in the world, um, uh, useless and, and ridiculous and in need of change, but mm -hmm. I still lean more towards left than right. That's for sure. And still I can have very varying beliefs and, and stances on different things. And, and it's more like the more we go, the more time passes, the less 
availability of different options are given to people to have thoughts on, you know, like I got the vaccine and now I'm pissed that I still have to wear a mask. It's like, what's, what's the point? Like, uh, and one of the reasons for that is because I actually have like a, a sinus related problem. I can't breathe well. And then you put a mask on that. It's like, I can't breathe at all. And then I have to wear the mask and on top of that, wear a helmet, like good luck getting any oxygen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like I, I've actually gotten an operation to be able to breathe better. And I'm about to do another one because the first one wasn't enough, you know, and, oh, and, wow. and, and I'm double vaxxed and I still have to wear a mask and it's like i i don't want to wear a mask you know if mm-hmm. if the vaccine actually does what we're told it, it does then everyone around me especially in a space where everyone around me is also vaxxed i should have the right to not wear a, a mask it's just ridiculous and again if there's any data any proof that what i'm saying um, is wrong for some reason that's fine you can reach <laughs> out to me and let me know at some point, I do want to switch to the, the ethics and the animal testing part, but yes. <laughs> so many, so more, so many more things still to yes. say, um, which sort of to get into this a little bit more, I, my perspective, even though I've talked about trust and how, like, I don't have distrust and that's sort of my biggest thing. And, and mostly I just want it to be an individual choice. I want to be able to make the decision that I feel is best for my health and well-being, and other people to do the same. But I also definitely would say I disagree with even the idea that the vaccine is as safe or effective as um, probably you believe and as a lot of people I know do. Mm-hmm. And I uh, have read a lot of studies for myself. And so so I guess the thing that I found that comes up that I want to hear your thoughts on is when I've gotten into various debates or conversations with people about, and this is science friends, um, people that maybe fit more of a Democrat, you know, particular perspective or box, um, where it feels to me like I'm talking to someone who kind of toes a very specific narrative and isn't thinking, you know, for themselves or independently. And I've had a lot of these conversations, but I come across this thing where I feel like people believe that, you know, I'm sharing or believe misinformation. You know, they think I follow conspiracy theorists. I'm, I'm spreading things that are wrong, et cetera. And they will try to counter some of the stuff I share or, or that they think I'm watching or listening to, you know, just, and just, this is just in talking, this is in writing, you know, whatever they'll share stuff and be like, but have you seen this as supposed, you know, debunking and so far in pretty much every single one of these conversations I've had, when it's gone back and forth, I am always familiar with more information that the other person is not than vice versa. Like everything they tell me, but have you seen study X, Y, Z, but here's that, you know, I'm like, yeah, I've heard that a million times. And have you heard of this study or heard this? And they're like, every single time, no, no, I, you know, like they don't know yeah. the stuff that I'm talking about and I know everything they're talking about. And, and maybe I'm like, you know, wrong and biased here. And I'm, so that's why I'm curious to hear your perspective, but like, that makes me feel like I am more educated on this topic and that I have a wider understanding of the different studies, information perspectives mm-hmm. out there. And so it make when I, when people come at me with the same information and no new ideas or responses to the things I've shared, you know, over and over and over, it kind of does make me feel like they're just 
parroting industry talking yeah. points, you know. It, it's also like, I think the reason for that is because a lot of people tend to do research by looking for things that confirm their view mm-hmm. rather than looking for things that either confirms or debunks their view. You know, like if I want to know um, if a keto diet is healthy and I search terms only directed at finding results that shows that it's unhealthy, I'm going to find results that show it's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. But if I also do research by using terms that is open to finding both sides of, of like of the options, not saying that both sides of of studies exist, but if I want to be objective, then I'm going to do an objective research and, and see more studies probably, or see more um, options or things like that. And, and when people don't know what you're mentioning, it's because they haven't done any effort in even wondering if what they're being told is wrong. They've Mm -hmm. just taken what confirms that what they're thinking is right. And and I think that's one of the issues Like people just don't want to be wrong. And, and I don't get it since when, why, what happened throughout history that all of a sudden we, we don't want to be wrong anymore, you know? I think there's a lot of ego attached to it. I think on social media, it's even worse. Um, I think that's one of the reasons sometimes I get even hate because people say something and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for pointing it out. And they just keep on hating. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, I, I accepted your point. I corrected it. I made an apology. Can we move on? Or do you, or was your intention keep on feeling righteous that you were right and I was wrong? Like what the, the, the ultimate outcome of trying to correct someone is that they change their, their view if, if you were right. Um, not that you keep on continuing feeling like your ego is boosted because you were right and they were wrong. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, that's what social media has made you. I'm sorry for you, but... Um, I, I think in general, things that should happen aren't happening. And that's what's leading into this. And one of those things is the, is the fact that like um, when scientists um, propose getting together and sitting down and having a conversation, if everything what they did so far was right or wrong, they're denied permission or the event is canceled or, or whatever it is. I don't remember what exactly happened, but this is the result of that, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's Again, more of what makes me skeptical when I feel like I listen to and have been reading, you know, the work of many of the dissenting scientists that, you know, other people haven't even heard of when they, you know, they try and tell me there's a scientific consensus on this topic or that all the information agrees. And I'm like, okay, what about X, Y, and Z and this person? And they're like, I don't know who you're talking about, you know? Yeah. And so, so one of those particular studies that I'm just curious if you're familiar with, like when we talk about the efficacy of the vaccine, to my knowledge, there's only one, you know, recent study that's looking at this, but it, it's a study that was looking at the different vaccination rates in yeah. you know many countries around the world and the rates of covid and and it was pretty recent right so we have a lot of different countries at different places in their vaccination programs that we can compare and if the vaccine was anywhere as effective at not preventing maybe hospitalizations and bad symptoms but at actually preventing the illness or stopping the spread of it yeah that you would expect the higher the vaccination rate, you know, at least some impact on the infection rates of COVID in that country. And this study basically found not only was there no association, there was a slight negative association 
Wow. Where the higher the vaccination rate in that country, the slightly more, I can't remember if it was even significant or not. There's mm-hmm. definitely, you know, no association, but there might've even been a slight significant association where wow. the higher the vaccination, the higher COVID. And like no one, no media attention, no one is talking about this. None of my science friends that are, you know, pushing a certain narrative, like they don't know about this or sort of like they have nothing to say and I haven't seen it get any traction. And I find that, you know, baffling and concerning, but that's just one of multiple studies like this that I could point directly to that kind of poke holes in the idea of even how effective or safe the vaccine is. Yeah. Actually, if you could send me that, that, that study, I'd, I'd love to forward it to my friend. Um, yeah, I'd be so curious, like, yeah. yeah, what your friend says. I did have one friend sent me a link. I can't find it now, but I did find a, a news article that says the new 99%, these are the people who are getting serious cases of COVID. And it's basically 99% of the people who are hospitalized right now, if I'm not mistaken, um, are not vaccinated. It is an article. I will try to see if I can find the study where they got the number from. I'll forward it to you later on. And, and it's a Rockefeller University study published last month, apparently. Okay. If it's um, last month, I'm I'm curious because I there was some of that was circulating. I think it was more than a month ago. And yeah. um, the ones I'd seen were using data from like back in December, January, and February of last year when not very many people had been vaccinated. So I'd be super curious to see if there was a more recent one that I might find more compelling. (laughs) Yeah. And definitely send me the the study so I can share it with my friend as well and see what she says. Yeah. Yeah. Great open dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) How it's supposed to be. Yes. So yeah. So maybe let's um, switch gears a little bit. And uh, talk about the ethics of the animal testing when it comes to the vaccine. And maybe just start with like, what are, what do you know about that? Um, And what are your thoughts on that? Um, I know some vaccines are tested and some aren't. I, I, I don't care which ones are doing it because this is something that is happening in all of the industry in general. So it's not really only to vaccination. It's, it's about almost every single medicine out there or treatment. I'm fully against it for a very simple reason. The best way to put it is, would we do the same to a human? Would we test a human against, well, without their consent? And if, if the answer is no, are you fami- familiar with the name the trait mm-hmm. question? Yep. Yeah, so I would say name the trait that is true of these animals that if true to a human would justify doing that to a human. And there is not a single trait that is morally significant that these animals have that if humans did, um, it would justify uh, testing on a human without their consent. And until someone has found me uh, a, a trait, I cannot say that I agree with testing any type of treatment, no matter who it's for. And I'm talking as someone who lost their father to it, you know, Um, would I be happy that like, if my father was still alive, obviously there's no question, of course I would. But I think what's happening is science is being blocked. Progress in science is being blocked because of animal testing. Majority of animal testing does not give us the results that we need in order to have better medicine for humans. I I remember I was giving a a lecture at a university in Switzerland a few years ago. And uh, 
A woman who was attending the lecture, she was vegan. She said that her husband works in animal testing in the medical industry, and he feels very guilty, even though he's not even a vegan. And the reason he feels guilty is because she said in his words that um, he was aware that the data is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It's just money. It's just so much money involved. So this is an industry that is literally blocking progress in science. We could be using all that money to find better ways, ethical ways, and more efficient ways to test these medicines. You know, I know there's already some companies who grow like organs or human skin and things like that. And then they test on that, you know, why don't we just use the money to, to have better progress and, and no animal testing, especially like the thing is, even if it was giving the results we needed, it's still not justified. And it's very interesting because if you ask why it's ethically okay to test on other animals, scientists say it's because other animals are not like us, so it's ethically okay. And when you ask why it's scientifically okay to test on them, they say it's because they're like us. Mm -hmm. So like, are they like us or are they? And, and the more, the closer you get to one answer, the more unethical it becomes, <laughs> you know? Yep. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm completely against it. And I haven't heard a single argument that can defend the idea of um, of testing on other animals against their consent. Absolutely. Or without their consent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's one thing sort of, you know, being more critical of a lot of the people that maybe side more with me when it comes to skepticism of the vaccine. One of the rallying cries early on was, you know, like they skipped some of the animal testing or something. And people were upset about that. Like, you know, that makes it worse in humans. And, you know, I, I don't agree. And, and I think that's, it's, it's both false that they skipped animal testing and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, in my view, if they did. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's been an interesting uh, sort of dilemma that I noticed. And I totally agree with you. There's no, no justification yeah, like scientific, scientifically, maybe a slightly better case can be made, but ethically, I don't think there's any justification yeah. um, at all. But it's it's also been slightly saddening to me how few, how little I have heard about that, especially from much of the vegan community and animal rights community through COVID. It's like the instant they decided there was a vaccine or product that they supported it's like they forgot yeah they forgot that they were against animal testing or or <laughs> when i have spoken about even i made a short little video about the animal testing from the nih that fauci's division has <laughs> headed and i got a lot of comments on that you know basically like oh are you anti vax and it's like what does that have to do <laughs> with like can't we criticize a system and, and some unethical things in it. And why are you automatically assuming now that that's like a right wing talking point or something? Oh my God. It, it was really weird. <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, where are you based by the way? Uh, Kansas city in the middle of the U S okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is going to sound mean, but you know what I often think about <laughs> what, how much chill the world would be if the United States didn't have internet. Like the amount of things that affects the world just because Americans have access to the internet. 
like can you, so much polarization mm-hmm. is now being copy pasted not not now only but it's been for a while i mean of course there's a good parts as well but when it comes to polarization political turmoil and and, and this binary way of thinking it all comes from the United States and it's very interesting because a lot of this binary way of thinking come from people who identify as non-binary, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, if you can be non-binary in other subjects, why can you not be non-binary in, in politics as well? And, you know, there's always going to be some people who are going to throw at me on this and you're going to say, oh, like, so do you mean we should accept everyone and everyone's views? Of course not. Like, this, this is one thing to be able to have open conversation. It's another thing to, to know where to draw the limit, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or draw your boundaries. But it's just, um, it's just like when when you open your mouth about one subject and then you're given this um, judgment like, oh, you, you lefty, you communist, you know, straight away, or, oh, you right-wing fascist Nazi. And it's like, are there no people in between? You know, like, did I miss on that? Did we just jump throughout history and, and it became either Stalin full-on communist style killing everyone or Hitler full-on, you know, fascist style <laughs> killing everyone? Like, were people not against both at, at any point? And it just makes it so difficult to have conversations with people nowadays. And, and this is why it, th- this conversation is taking a lot of time with you because <laughs> we miss this, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and we are not the only ones. Like people are afraid to have these conversations. The amount of messages that I got on my video saying, I'm so happy to hear someone finally speaking their thoughts and not even being sure about it. You know, people are so opinionated nowadays. Like, I'm just not sure. And I can make a video on that. And people just don't want to do that. They're really afraid. Not only are they afraid of having an opinion because they they get slayed by both sides mm-hmm. based on what their opinion is, but they're also, have, they're also afraid of not having an opinion. Well, how does a society go forward with individuals who are afraid of sharing that they don't have an opinion yet? It's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there's like this expectation I think social media is largely to blame where like you're, you know, you're expected every new issue that is the hot topic of that moment, you're expected to say and do the right thing, which often no one can reasonably be expected to be informed on every injustice or world issue going on. And then when there's this push of like, you know, cancel people if you didn't say or do the right thing, then people, I think, start embodying like, well, I better have an opinion on everything regardless yeah. of how informed I am. Yeah. And it's, uh, you, you know, what's really sad is the amount of racism involved in that. And what I mean by racism is Western-based racism. Um, the idea that everything evolves around the Western world. Uh, just to give you an example, I was uh, like borderline harassed by someone because I didn't share about Asian hate going on in the United States Mm -hmm. that a place I have never been to I have no control on while these people did not spend a minute wondering why I was sharing about my childhood friends being in a war in Armenia because Azerbaijan launched a full-scale war with the help of some western countries And I had to check with their sisters if they're still alive. 
you know, mm -hmm. and I'm getting hate for not sharing about what's happening in a country I've never been to. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, there's only a certain amount of things that people can share and have have knowledge about. I know, like, it's not like I didn't know there's Asian hate or racism. You know, of course I'm against that. Of course, like, I I'm against all type of all types of discrimination. Mm -hmm. But like, I I I'm in Lebanon. In the Middle East, worrying about my friends in Armenia, because I'm originally Armenian, people uh -huh. I grew up with, people who were in my class, being on the front lines of the war, and you're harassing me for not talking about what's happening in the United States where you are. It's like, why Why do you think I, I have that responsibility? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I would love to be able to raise awareness on all issues, but I'm also a human being with certain emotions. Like, I can't expect you to write about what's happening to my dad when your grandma is in the hospital, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. like you worry about your grandma. It's okay. Like, right. I know you would care about my dad if you could, but everyone has their shit. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, as you said, like people are expected to have an opinion and say something on everything. Like, no, how about just give me some time? I'm dealing with my shit now. Yeah. That's, that's awful that we're <laughs> harassed over that. Like yeah. the internet is a wild place. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a courtroom. That's what it has become. Yeah, yeah, it, it has. And the day that Facebook and Instagram, you know, were completely down, I'm not going to lie. I was like, this is kind of nice, you know, because like when when I go off Facebook or Instagram on my own, there's always that feeling of like, you know, well, what am I missing or I should be posting or this other stuff. But when it was down and it was like you knew no one was on it, yeah. it was like, Oh, wow. <laughs> I kind of like this. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, on the, the ethics and the animal testing, um, one of the things that I was curious if, you know, from your knowledge of animal rights and animal testing issues, if this was something you'd heard about, because I'm just not sure how many people like know this or not. But when people were talking about the animal testing with a vaccine, I did see a lot of people kind of saying, well, it was one time and it was, you know, limited the development, the beginning of the trial. And then once they tested it, once it was approved, you know, there's no more animal testing. And that's like kind of <laughs> kind of accurate. That's when the majority of it happened. But a lot of people don't realize, and so that's why I'm wondering whether you're familiar with this or not, but that at least in the US and I think the EU. And Australia, you know, a lot of the countries that have sell their drugs and products in other countries, um, there's batch testing requirements where every single batch of a vaccine made does have to be tested for sort of mm -hmm. purity and safety. And, and while they are definitely transitioning away from animal testing of that, there are still some circumstances in which it happens, happens, and it's very, it lacks a lot of transparency. Like this is an issue that I've dug into yeah. for a lot. You know, they'll say it's no longer legally required. The, the animal batch testing is no longer legally required except for, you know, products still sold in China. I believe they still have that, that yeah. main animal testing requirement. Um, but like, they don't say that it's not happening just because it's not legally required either. And yes. it's, it's like, so how, how much, how are they 
batch testing. And I've read sort of summaries of the industry, but it's almost impossible for me to yeah. find specific information on this. I actually did want to find information on the COVID vaccine animal testing before my video, but I didn't, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Like I, I did research, I, I couldn't. They named a few species, mm-hmm. nothing about numbers, nothing about what they did to them, nothing about, like nothing. I couldn't find anything. And and it's it's a huge secrecy-based um, industry, that's for sure, just because of the amount of money that's involved. And I just want to say one thing. It's like you said that people said, well, it was a one-time thing to get tested. That's literally all animal testing. It's always a one-time thing. They don't test an animal every single time you buy the pill. Mm-hmm. For each product, they test it once, except if there's like any update or whatever it is they're doing. You know, to my knowledge, it's not like buying meat where every single time they have to kill an animal. No, they test it once. So if you justify it for COVID testing, you're justifying all animal testing because it's always just once to get it approved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> like... If we go down that road, then you're just justifying all animal testing, at which point I'm like, how much do you believe in animal rights? Yeah. It, it's just it's just not accurate. That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so so the thing that I have learned a lot more about then past the animal testing, as I mentioned before, are the the animal products that are used. And I feel like that's also a hugely overlooked issue. People sort of zero in on animal testing and it's like, if we get rid of that or we have these alternatives, it's fine. But a few years back, I was working in an explicitly non-animal testing toxicity lab. So like the purpose of this lab is they contracted with chemical companies, um, you know, makeup companies, whatever, to sort of test their products. And their whole thing was, you know, we promote science and animal welfare. So we do non-animal testing methods to tell you, you know, about your ingredients and your product. So I literally thought I was about to be walking into a vegan organization, you know, like, okay, (laughs) non-animal testing. Great. And we get in there and like one of the main tests that they did had us like picking up buckets of like cow eyeballs that they got from a nearby slaughterhouse. And so they're like, okay, so here, here's how you work with these cow eyeballs. And I'm like, I thought this was a non-animal testing lab. And they're like, well, yeah, no live animals. And we're their main test. Cause that's how that was the replacement for like testing on like rabbits eyes. You know, they needed yeah. to see how the eyeball like reacted. So they're literally using a product from a slaughterhouse. And honestly, I can't remember whether they they might have claimed they got it for free because it was like a byproduct. So I don't know if they were purchasing it or not, but they'd have buckets of cow eyeballs come into the lab and then like do all these different tests with them. Oh my God. And I was horrified. (laughs) Like this is, this is non-animal like toxicity testing. And I don't know enough about the different, you know, like leaping bunny and, and uh, cruelty-free certifications, But I know that a product, if it's not one of the certifications and someone just labels their product cruelty-free, it absolutely can be one of these that's being tested on cow eyeballs. It's just not a live animal. (laughs) I've just lost my trust in all all companies. (laughs) No, but it would be interesting to know what type of certificate this organization was giving to these companies. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, that that's really important. <laughs> wow, that's that's disturbing. That's really disturbing. I mean, I'm I'm fine if people test on my eyeballs when I'm dead. I don't care. Like, <laughs> but 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 like this is a whole industry that relies on on the commodification and exploitation mm-hmm. of other animals. It's it's just like every single time you use it, you're confirming that they are here for us to use. Absolutely. I mean, in addition to that, the the biggest thing, and this applies to a lot of the vaccine development, is fetal bovine serum. It's, yeah. it's huge because, and this is what I learned when I was working, I was basically in cell biology labs where you're growing, you know, often human cells usually in a lab, which, and there's ethics behind how those human cells were collected too. Um, but the main, you know, most of these cells, human or animal, because a lot of vaccines are developed on animal tissue culture, monkey kidney cells, dog cells for viruses in particular, when they grow the virus, it has to be grown in a cell culture. And to keep cells alive in a culture, they have to be fed a certain medium. And one of the main ingredients is fetal bovine serum. And that's just like across like this entire industry that your baby, you know, you basically using like extracted baby cow blood from a pregnant mother right mm-hmm. yep yeah this was an issue when it, uh in uh lab grown meat mm-hmm. absolutely but um i'm happy to share that they found a solution to no longer have to do that do you know At least. what it is yes um <laughs> if i'm not mistaken i can i can double check with my friend but i can tell you now also uh, if i'm not mistaken they found a way to have one part of it frozen forever and just keep on taking from that and using it. Um, so obviously one cow had to be harmed eventually to get a product that can be used forever. Okay. I don't uh, know about the process. I can ask my friend and let you know. I'm sure. super curious. Cause I've been following the lab grown meat thing as well. And um, although I've heard various companies claim they had a solution to it, I yeah. have yet to see anything in the peer reviewed or published literature, like documenting an alternative. Okay. So I'm, I'm super curious. I think, um, when it comes to this company, one of their, um, cause my friend has invested in them. That's why he knows. Um, one of the, um, one of the things on the contract was that they do not go on the market until they have found, um, the solution for this because they wanted it to be, considered a product that no longer relies on other animals. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Some good news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, it's an issue there and it's certainly, um, an issue in a lot of the vaccine yeah. development, um, and not just COVID that's for a lot of other vaccines. I mean, they also, well. I, I'm, I'm going to make a video soon on, uh, was it called horseshoe blood? Crab, uh, horseshoe crab blood. Horseshoe crap. Oh mm-hmm. my God. That is one disturbing industry. Yeah. And that that's actually, I think how they're doing a lot of the batch safety testing for the COVID oh. vaccine. So like rather than using live animals for every batch that's produced, I think they're using something that has horseshoe crabs blood in it to sort of test for the purity and safety okay. yeah. of each batch that's produced. And how many shots are each are in each batch? Do you know? That I don't. Okay. Cause, cause that's like a big factor. Like if it's every eight or every eight, 80,000, you know, it's yeah. a massive difference between the, well, that's mm-hmm. something I can look into later. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't, 
looked that up. I know there's like lot numbers. So I think each lot, each different number is essentially a different batch. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I don't know how many that is. So what are your thoughts? Like, let's say theoretically the vaccine was, you know, as absolutely safe and effective as, you know, the, the pharmaceutical industry is telling us. Um, and it really, which, like I said before, I, I disagree with this, but like, if it could, you know, really end the pandemic, what would you think about individuals choosing to opt out of it? simply from sort of a vegan ethical perspective and not because of their health or well-being or the safety or efficacy of the vaccine, like, because they believed it wasn't vegan enough and they don't want to take it for that. Um, I would say that their decision should be based on the result of a research that they do where they would check if the pandemic continuing on creates more animal and environmental suffering Mm. i don't know what is the way of doing that (laughs) but i'm sure the pandemic has affected a lot of industries so is the way the pandemic affecting the world making it worse for animals or better i mean if it's for better i'm gonna get the vaccine out of me now and continue the pandemic. (laughs) i'm joking but Uh um um Yeah, it's a really good question because they should have the right to reject something based on ethics. You know, if um, if the vaccine was tested on, um, oh, and this is something that Pfizer has done. Pfizer had gone into an African country in Nigeria, if I'm not mistaken, where they tested a certain medicine on kids and kids died because of it and the parents were not given the full information. Um, Would people be comfortable then taking that medicine? you know, would they feel comfortable accepting that Pfizer has done that? And and this is where we have to wonder, like, based on ethics, do people have the right to to reject something? Yeah, I I don't know what the perfect answer is for this. Like, even even the answer that I gave regarding the impact of the pandemic, I'm not sure if that's still a good answer. That's just on the top of my head. Like, are we making the world a better or worse place by continuing a pandemic? I think this question should fall in more of a utilitarian context than a deontological in my opinion i think it's the overall good that we should consider at one point yeah that's interesting um i think i tend to be fairly skeptical of utilitarian (laughs) (laughs) weighing of stuff a lot um but yeah, I see what you're saying about like, you know, the individual should weigh the the sort of risk versus benefits of can I, you know, help more animals or, you know, which way my approach has kind of been. And this came up because, you know, I feel like early on, I saw lots of people saying people were vegan or not based on their choice to get the vaccine from both sides. And I found it really problematic on both sides. Yeah. But definitely like a lot of people I know, again, that are skeptical of the vaccine in the vegan community quickly saying like, you know, the vaccine's not vegan. You're not vegan if you get it. Mm -hmm. And that I uh, disagreed with that because sort of, you know, my approach is no one can live perfectly vegan in this world. I don't think anyone is really arguing with that. And there's some clear lines like, eating meat, dairy, or eggs, you know, there's really no good reason or justification, but 
if it comes to something that you really think means the difference between life or death for you, I don't think anyone should be, I mean, if you want to, if you want to sacrifice yourself for your ethics, like go ahead. Okay. That's, that's your choice. (laughs) But like, I don't think anyone should be forced to do that. And I don't think it's unreasonable for people to make, to compromise their ethics or make decisions if they really feel like it's a life or death situation or, you know, something could save their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it it does come down to the idea of, um, of, uh, would you, if you had to, would you hurt an animal in Mm self-defense, you know, and it, it does, like ideally we would live in a world where animals are left alone and they're not tested on that. I I think actually this is something I said before. I I said that if you do take the vaccine and you're vegan, it is problematic if you don't talk about animal testing. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. where it's an issue, I think, because you had to do something that goes against your beliefs, at least show some opposition you know, that you are not okay with this because we do it all the time. You know, like when we pay taxes, we're funding the animal agriculture industry. If we shut up about it, it's not okay. But if we protest it, then we're actually showing like, I have, I was not given any option, but this is, these are my ethics. I'm against this. And this is why I believe this is wrong. I think, um, I think it's important to not shut up about it. And if someone is afraid that talking against animal testing is going to make them look like an anti-vaxxer, let me just remind you that if you believe anti-vaxxer means anti-science, then animal testing is generally anti-science. The reason why this industry is surviving is because they're not talking about the science that shows that most of these um, tests are not useful for humans. They're, they're just not. And And it's even worse for humans because we're testing it on other species and then thinking that it's going to have the same impact on us. (laughs) Does that even make any sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy, (laughs) but no, I, I think that's a really good point that if you get it, um, or any drug for that matter, I mean, if you, if you take something that's been tested on animals, because you feel like you have to at least call out, um, the testing going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I like that because Yeah. So basically my approach has been like, here's the definition of veganism. It's, you know, I don't think anyone is saying you should have to put your life at risk, but it's up to every individual to determine what is putting, you know, I don't feel like I'm putting my life at risk. I don't think, you know, if I did, if I was, if I thought I was at high risk of dying from COVID or any other disease that had a drug, like I might make a very different decision, but that's, you know, based on the data and evidence and my experience, that's not how I feel. So it doesn't, you know, feel like something I would compromise on, but that I think it's an individual thing. And, and one of those gray areas about living in a non-vegan world that everyone has to navigate for themselves. So, yeah, I agree. Well, is there anything else you would like to add or uh, mention? I do have to say um, just one thing earlier that I was going to mention, I forgot. Um, In my case, with no pandemic, I am able to go from university to school giving lectures about animal rights. So um, for me, even taking the vaccine other than right now being able to see my family is also the ability to continue giving lectures to thousands of students. 
within like a few months only. Like last year, when, when the pandemic started, not last year, in 2020 March, on the 1st of March, I started lectures. I had 85 lectures organized in uh, all around the world, most of them in Europe. Um, and I did 11 of them. And then everything got canceled because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. That was a potential eight to 10,000 students that I was going to, at least if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it was more, um, that I was going to be able to reach with the message. So for me, one of the things was, okay, I can't just, I don't want to just sit at home and do YouTube videos as activism. That's something I do now, but I'd much rather be in schools and universities giving lectures because based on my experience with all the different types of activism that I've been involved in, lectures are the most impactful one because I share anonymous surveys and I get direct feedback of every single student. And there's just no words to explain how much more impact I see in that than in YouTube videos or other types of activism that I've done. So for me, that was definitely something that I had to take into consideration, unfortunately, by putting aside my ethics. And I'm not even sure if Sinopharm is tested. I'm pretty sure it is, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim it is um, just, to be, <laughs> uh-huh. just to be safe. Um, but I had, to, I had to wonder about that and say like, okay, I have to do this. I don't like it, but I have to. I, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've had similar uh, thoughts, but for me, I think I am at this point more concerned about what going along with the mandates and sort of vaccine passport thing will do to the future of our world just in general. And like what I think that's part of and where I think that's going, that that's another issue that would keep me from um, doing that. But I, yeah, I mean, it's a definitely going to be something to weigh going forward on, on all kinds of stuff. So where can uh, listeners go to find you and more about your work? Uh, well, my website is sebalex.org. Uh, Instagram is seb.alex. YouTube is sebalex. I think, if I'm not mistaken, through my website, you can have a link for everything. I also have a free ebook available now in 20 languages uh, about animal rights and logical fallacies. Um, the, one of the reasons I made this ebook is because I realized pointing out logical fallacies is, is much easier in a conversation and a debate about animal rights than going back and forth citing studies because of this exact reason of studies not always being the right way of having a conversation because you can give a study and the other person can give another study and then you're stuck between two studies that are both peer-reviewed and you don't know how to go forward. But if instead you are able to point out logical fallacies that people are using to justify their exploitation of other animals, you can have much easier conversations, much more like straight to the point and um, less area for for gray um, conclusions that the person might have. So it's a book about logical fallacies, giving different examples, and it's for free, of course, and available in 20 languages. They can get it on the on the website as well. Awesome. And I will put all of those uh, links in the podcast description and show notes as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode or are enjoying the podcast as a whole and want to support me and help get this information in front of more people, I would love it if you could share this episode and also leave a rating and review of the podcast in the iTunes or Spotify app or wherever else you are listening from. 